This is 105.9 The Region. There are so many ways of communicating these days, but nothing seems to beat the one-on-one. This is In Conversation with Ann Romer. Welcome to In Conversation. Thank you for being with us. This show is, in my view, up front, up close, and take center stage. COVID-19 has battered so many industries here in Canada, not the least of which is live theater. David Mervish, the king of the stage, as he's referred to by the people who work for and with him, had to bring down the curtain and turn off the marquee lights on all Mervish productions three days after the pandemic was declared. Quote, For the first time in my family's theater history, I have had to make the difficult decision to close our theaters. That was March 14th, 2020. Now, almost a year later, David Mervish is cautiously optimistic about the revival of the theater scene. He joins us now in conversation. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you, Anne. So let's talk about the decision to bring down the curtain on March 14th. It was several days after the pandemic was declared. How difficult was that decision for you? Well, I think that we we looked about and we saw that the city was still open in the what I call the O'Keefe Center. I know it has another name today. Um, and uh, we're doing a performance on the Friday night. Uh, and on the morning of the 13th, I realized that we couldn't do the matinees or the evenings and that we had to close. Um, And we still had good audiences, which made it difficult. And we had four theaters that were filled, actually, here in Toronto. But I also was looking around the world, and uh, you could see that it it would be irresponsible to try and go forward, and uh, that you didn't want to put people at risk in any way. And so uh, early, early that morning, I assembled all of our people by phone and I said, you know, we have to get in touch with the people who are coming to the matinees because it was a Saturday and let them know that there won't be a show. And uh, it was a difficult moment because we had 10 more weeks of Hamilton to run and we had sold all the tickets. Mm. So we had to find a way to refund those tickets to all the people who wanted it, even though we knew someday Hamilton would return and their set would be sitting on our stage. And you also had another blockbuster come from away, uh, you know, homegrown. We had come from away <laughs> also on there, and it was selling out all of the seats, and we had uh, uh, two other shows. We had a touring show in the Princess of Wales that was selling out, and we had a show from the Netherlands at the uh, CAA Theatre. So they were all doing well, but what you didn't see on the surface was we also were partners in 21 shows around the world, and they all closed on that same day too. So we had touring productions of Dear Evan Hansen in America. We were on Broadway with it. And a week earlier, we had just opened with Girl from the North Country and had the best reviews in New York history for us uh, and what looked like a path to a major Tony. And... uh, we had to close that show too. So they all closed on that day. So disappointment everywhere. You know, those who are theater goers and love the theater, very disappointing for them. But the actual theater community, and I talk about people on stage, people behind the scenes, people in front of house, everything to do with the theater community, absolutely devastated and thrown out of work. What did you hear from the theater community after you had to close the shows? 
Well, it was shocking to have to put 500 people out of work. And you know, that was the immediate effect on it. Uh, all my key people came immediately to me and said, uh, cut our salaries in half. We want to keep going, and we don't want to be a burden unduly. And uh, we want to support what's going on. We understand this is unusual. Uh, and everybody really has cooperated in one way or another. And the government stepped in and was very helpful and, and recognized that we went from 100% business to zero. But even with all of it, of course, there's no way to make up for all the expenses and uh, all the money that went into shows that will cost millions of dollars to put back on stage. On the other hand, uh, the actual people who work in the theater, I think, rallied. And we have a, uh, a, a newspaper called, uh, uh, oh, it's slipping my tongue now, but it's, it's on our website, which comes out once a week and is put together by actors and performers and staff who are really volunteering to, to just keep the news of, of theater alive and the spirits of people up, and people are performing on the site. So uh, nobody wants to let go of what they have been doing, and now we're beginning to see some positive sides. Well, let's talk about that. You recently uh, explained your position and your hope for the fall season. Uh, is that still a possibility that there will be people in seats and actors on the stage and the orchestra and everybody who puts the performances together? Is there is there optimism on your part that we will actually be back in the theater again in the fall? Well, I, I certainly hope so. You know, we, we've consulted with the TELUS Health Network and also with uh, 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 a, a very fine doctor in our community. Um, uh, and so we've created a protocol for how we would return. We've also looked at what went on in South Korea where they never stopped doing theater, but where they kept COVID under control. And right now in Australia, uh, they're playing Come From Away. This last week has been playing there. And they, what they are doing at the moment is 75% of the seats in the building are available, and they're selling out all those seats. So there's an appetite, and also where it's safe, there actually is performance. In Taiwan, uh, Phantom of the Opera is playing at the moment, and it played for six months in South Korea. So there are places that have controlled COVID, even without vaccine, but everyone wears masks, everyone washes their hands, they go directly to their seats, they're, they're, there's a whole series of things they do, and they do a lot of tracing. So if anyone ever is sick in their community, they shut everything down until they are back to nobody sick. And you know, we're not used to that sort of situation. They have gone through other pandemics that we haven't, and they've been uh, prepared for this. Do you think that the actors and the perfor other performers and, and the other people supportive of a production and the theater goers themselves, would they be willing, do you think, with our frame of mind here in Canada to go to the theater, wear masks, keep our distance, 
be as far away from the stage as possible so that the actors and, and singers can continue to perform the way they should, I'm assuming they wouldn't be wearing masks. But do you think that our, we are ready for something like that here in Canada? Well, I don't think we're ready for it tomorrow. I think if, if we're talking about the end of this year, sometime the last week of November, uh, by then we should have all those people who wish to be uh, vaccinated uh, have an opportunity to do that. I think we'll still be wearing masks. I think there'll be a whole protocol to it. But I do think that as long as we feel safe, we'll attend. And so we have to assure ourselves that it is safe to open. The last thing we want to do is open and then find that we have illness and we close. And that illness may have nothing to do with the theater. It may do, would have to do with the general community at large. So we have to watch and see what the effect of the variants are. We have to see what the effect of the various uh, vaccinations are, are. But there is optimism. And as I say, even without vaccinations, in certain communities where they're willing to close down, for example, they found one case in Perth last week, and they declared two weeks of close down. And, uh, and they traced the person and where it came from and who that person had been in contact with. Everyone went off into a building designated for people who might have COVID, and they are being fed and taken care of but isolated for 14 days, and then they'll re-enter the community. We, we don't have that mentality here. But uh, if we eventually have to have that mentality, we'll acquire it. So I think none of us know for sure, but there is so, so many good signs coming along uh, at this point that I think it's not unrealistic to think that perhaps we can go on sale with a subscription towards the end of May and we can open again towards the end of November. Thus the cautious optimism. David, let me ask you this. What is Mervish Productions able to do to support the the everyone in your theatre community that was affected by the closure of your theatres on March the 14th? Well, I think we took advantage of as many of the government programs as we could, and we have restored those original people, some of them who are very active, you know, to full pay. But, uh, but everyone is, is suffering to some degree, and uh, we're trying to maintain uh, relationships and, uh, as best we can. It's still costing us hundreds of thousands of dollars every month that we're closed. And so we're subsidizing the buildings and the, and the, the business until we can open again. I want to ask you something very personal, if I'm allowed, and I, yes. I thank you for letting me ask. What do you think your father, Ed Mervish, would have said to you if he was still here about your decisions and particularly the pandemic and, and what you had to do in order to keep everyone safe? What would he have said to you? You know, I think he would have seen health as the first and the most important issue, that no one wants to put anyone at risk. And we have to do what, what we're advised by the health experts to, to follow that first and foremost. But I know that he would be concerned about his employees. You know, my father 
started life in the depression and uh he was 15 he was he his when his father died he was the oldest of three children and he was responsible for his mother and his two younger siblings and they basically had a bankrupt grocery store and his biggest goal in life was not to be a burden on anyone and my mother was born in hamilton and lived up on lived on erie avenue and uh I, I've been reading Michelle Obama's book, and she talks about how when she was a child, her greatest fear was fire. Because if you live in a poor neighborhood uh, financially and you have houses close together and many people in a house, uh, there is always that danger. And growing up somewhere when I was a teenager, my grandmother, who lived in that house by herself, and it was heated by a potbelly stove and she cooked on that stove actually had a fire and her back door to protect her from burglars or anyone coming in was blocked by an old refrigerator and she found the strength to push that refrigerator aside and escape from that fire so i know that you know my my mother's friendship with lincoln alexander was that they shared all these memories and we've been very lucky as a family cad has been great to us we've being able to grow and, and build a, a successful business and successful life for our family. So I think that whatever we can do that you know maintains good relationships with the people who have done such good work for us in the theater is very important, and I think that that's what my father would think about. Your parents would be very proud of you if they were here today. And David Mervish, we're going to be watching everything you're doing over the next few months, and so many of us who love the theater will be waiting anxiously to find out when we can finally walk through the doors of any of the many theaters that you own and love and enjoy live theater once again. David Mervish, thank you for joining us in conversation. Thank you, Anne. Coming up from the front office to the spotlight, one actor's perspective on the pandemic. This is In Conversation with Anne Romer. Is there someone you want to learn more about? Drop us a line. Info at 1059theregion.com. Anne Romer will be right back on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to In Conversation with Anne Romer on 1059 The Region. Actor Ali Bowman's star is on the rise, at least it was, until COVID-19 brought the curtain down on stage productions here in Canada. In fact, the entire theatre community is hurting badly, silenced by the devastating pandemic with no clear direction on when or how it will return to the spotlight. It is such a tragic tale of loss on so many levels, affecting so many people on stage, behind the scenes, front of house, and the arts community in general. Joining us now in conversation is Ali Momin to talk about an actor's dreams shattered and finding the footlights again. Thanks for being with us, Ali. Thank you for having me, Anne. So how did you find out that the curtain was going down for a final time on productions here in this country? Uh, like everybody in Come From Away, it was uh, uh, as we were getting ready for our Saturday uh, matinee. March 14th, 2020, I'll never forget it. We just got a, a message from our stage manager saying, guys, don't come into the theater today and uh, wait for further instruction. And I think all of us thought, okay, this is going to be for a short period of time, maybe a month or two. 
But very quickly, I think like all of us, we found out that this was far longer than we thought. And uh, more importantly, that what we do, because it is about congregation, not just about people in the audience, but also about us as actors, um, we knew that we would be the last to come back. And uh, here we are uh, approaching the uh, 11th month. Wild. Wild is right. How are you managing? I mean, this is many, many, many months of being off the stage. I mean, it's a place where you thrive and and you get your inspiration. How are you managing, Ali? Um, it's been a, a definitely a period of grief, you know, um, because it, it, it is indeed a loss. Um, I know myself, but I know everybody in this business, you know, works so hard towards a, uh, to have like a middle-class life, to have a career, to have a job in this business. And for that job to go away, it's equivalent if, you know, if any other job was to go away, if a factory was to shut down, it's like your purpose goes. Um, so for a, a, a many months, you know, it, it, it was, I was quite grief stricken. Um, and now I'm, I'm a little more resolved. I understand uh, we are where we are. Um, but definitely it has been very, very difficult. And I got to tell you, Anne, you know what I really do miss is I miss singing hmm. and I miss exercising the muscle. You know, for 11 months, it's like, it's, it's very weird. And sometimes I'm afraid that if and when that moment comes where we're back on stage, what's coming out of the pipes? <laughs> you yeah, know, so yeah. that's wild. Let's talk about the community. You know, we, we, of course, think about the actors on stage, but there's so much more to theater than meets the eye. That is such an excellent point, and I think it's something that I have been trying to tell as many people as possible, that when people come to see a show, they see, for Comfort Way, for instance, they see 12 actors on stage, a bunch of chairs and a revolving set, but around that, is a whole slew of technicians, wardrobe, sound, design, stage management. In the theater, you have ushers, uh, you have uh, theater maintenance, you have box office. And then if you keep on going outside that, you have all the restaurants, all the coffee shops, the Uber that takes you there, like the economic activity that surrounds culture. You know, I'll just give like just some quick stats. 650,000 jobs in culture, 3% of our GDP in culture. And I read this amazing thing that for each job and culture, it actually gets you 3.8 jobs. Like this isn't just about, oh, the art is gone. This is a huge economic driver. And particularly for like the city, the city is so different now. That's like a huge, huge, huge loss. So this is big. This is like, this isn't just art going away. This is like livelihood. This is regular livelihoods that are going away. Ali, why do you think that this isn't making greater headlines? You know, I read the paper every day. I'm online checking everything. And there hasn't been a lot of coverage when it comes to the blow to the arts here in Canada. It's an excellent question, and it's something that I have asked myself, and it's something that I'm trying to address and alleviate. I, I really do think it's that people think that what we do is a magic show. And what they don't see is they don't see the, the work. And that is not just on people, it's on us. And it's important for us to, as artists, to remind people 
that it's a job and it is something that has huge consequences to the economy, huge consequences to the economy. And it's also the thing I think about too is that like art and culture is also the identity of the place that you're in, you know, because at the end of the day, what is a country? What is a city? Yes, it is, you know, buildings and yes, it is people, but it's also pictures and poems and stories and all of that kind of stuff. So the loss of it, you're right, it's huge. We just do not elevate it to, to where it needs to be. And I don't want it to get to a point where we come out of this pandemic and all the art is gone and we go, wait a second, wait a second. All I have is TikTok. There's got to be what's happened, you know? So I, I really do worry about that. The other thing that, that I notice is that you as a community, the, the arts community, the theater community in particular, you know, you're not rebelling through this, which it, it would create headlines, but not the right kind of headlines. So what's the sentiment amongst those who are out of work and really at this point beginning to feel out of hope? Yeah, it's a really interesting thing you bring up, you know, and uh, we haven't had like a rebellion in terms of performance. There hasn't been an Adamson's barbecue of the theater. And that really speaks to the empathy of us as artists, like the, the, the heart that we have. So regardless of what's going on, I, I, I just really commend every single artist for being as soulful as I know they would be. Um, the, the sentiment now that I'm hearing, more I, I'm hearing I, I'm, I'm hopeless, I feel abandoned, uh, I feel depressed, and what's going on for a lot of people is that a lot of people are trying to recreate their lives, uh, going back to school or trying to find work, but as you know, so much of the work that artists did, that's gone too now. So we are in this incredibly precarious situation, and, 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 and it, it's just very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. You know, I, I hearken back to a couple of specials that I saw recently, and they emanated from Broadway. And I recall seeing stories woven within the show uh, that was obviously taped and there was no audience. The passing of what I think was a red hat, and it struck me that that was kind of a, a, a way of fundraising within the arts community, within the theater community. Is there something like that here on this side of the border? Well, anyone can go and they could donate to the Actors Fund of Canada. And uh, the Actors Fund of Canada was very much set up for, um, you know, artists and actors who were in a very dire straits financially. Let's say they had a financial uh, emergency and they needed some money. And, and come from the way we would do that, we would uh, every year allocate a, a certain time after the show for a period of time to, to collect money. Um, but obviously, you know, the Actors Fund of Canada is in a uh, probably more necessary than it has been in a very long time. So I would say the Actors Fund of Canada. And then an organization that I started uh, uh, myself along with some others um, is we're pushing for like an arts new deal. And our organization is called Make Arts Work. And uh, it's very much predicated on the idea that, you know, we have all of these creative people uh, actors, designers, artists, musicians. Musicians is also a very huge thing. We are, we are at home, and while we are feeling depressed and while we are feeling sad, we are also hungry and we are keen to make work, and uh, we are keen to actually make work in service of the country. And uh, we are looking to, to, for the government to essentially hire artists as if they would hire 
uh, unemployed people uh, in an infrastructure project, you know. So not just to build roads, not just to build bridges, but also to kind of build society and culture again. Um, it's something that happened in the, in, in the 30s in America uh, with the WPA, and it started the careers of Mark Rothkoe, Jackson Pollock, uh, African-American female uh, writers, Dorothy West. Like, artists were just given work to do, and they were paid for the art that they made. And it was like, it, it redefined that country, and we're pushing to, to do that too, because um, that for me would be amazing. Are the levels of government listening, or are they turning a deaf ear? If, if we were to go by the kind of uh, history of uh, the WPA, the Works Progress Administra- Administration, which is what happened with uh, Roosevelt, um, they're late, but there's still a possibility that we might get there because our industry will not be back, honestly, until there is a level of vaccination and beyond that, until there is a level of confidence for people to congregate again. So it's going to take much longer than we think. And so the government, uh, it seems very slowly, is getting to the point where they're like, okay, we need some industry-specific relief. Um, so, So we're hoping. But again, the most important thing to think about is that an artist's contribution is profound. And I just think about what happens when a bunch of artists show up to an area in the city that used to have lower property prices. We all know what happens. The artists come and they make it worth living. That is what art does. It makes life worth living. You are one smart guy. So from from the stage performance, uh, the stage production, come from away before the footlights were extinguished, the marquee was turned off and the curtain came down on it. That actual production, Ali, is there anything from within that story that you can relate to now going through this pandemic? Um, Yeah, and uh, um, think about what that story is. Mm -hmm. Uh, That story very much is about uh, an event, a life-changing event that happens and how people come together uh, to, to, to work through it. And it's really about the power of collectivism, uh, community, and uh, creativity. And it's those three things. And so when I think about um, uh, the day where I'm able to do that again, I kind of think that moment, and for anyone who hasn't seen the show, I think the moment that show begins until the end will quite possibly be one of the most cathartic experiences I think anyone will ever go through. Um, So uh, I I really can't wait for that moment. Ali Momin, rising star, please don't let your dreams be shattered by this pandemic. Please keep dreaming big, real, and strong. And thank you for joining us in conversation. Thank you very much, Anne. You're the best. Ali Moman, all fired up when it comes to supporting his theater community. And David Mervish, hopeful that the curtain will rise again. The show must go on. I'm Ann Romer. Bye for now. Follow In Conversation with Ann Romer on Twitter at 1059 The Region. This is 1059 The Region.